Hey, AGs, are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic nonstick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. The only agenda I have is whether to update my Google Cal. I'm not in touch with my emotions, but I'll probably make you cry. (laughs) Wait, what was the last part of that? You went out for a second. I'm not in touch with my emotions, but I'll probably make you cry. (laughs) It was so good both times, including the second time when I actually heard it. The glory of COVID-style Zoomy-Zoom recording means that I get to ask you to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite things. And you guys, it's Andy Scrolls. It's episode 306, which (sighs) feels like a lot of something. Um, But I'm so excited to have a new guest on the People's People's Couch, someone who I think I initially asked to come on Andy's Girls like literally six and a half years ago. And then I was like, oh, 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 okay, it's year seven and then year eight. So I'm so excited to have him. You know him as a superstar, superstar uh, with Entertainment Tonight. Bryce Sander, welcome to AG. How are you? Wow. I don't think I've ever been introduced or been told to my face that I'm a superstar. So I will take that in and let it sit with me. I'm great. Happy to be here. Happy to see the Clawfus. Oh my God, you know, as you know, because we follow each other on the gram, the, the, you know, streets are talking. I put out a hundred thousand photos of the cloth on IG and a video. I really did 
the Lord's work. And you can see it a little bit in the background. We have this like little moment. The Clothis is completed. It's beautiful. It's I'm happy to witness its glory. Thank you so much. I mean, I have to say, you know, the work that you do on Entertainment Tonight is so fabulous and so interesting. Um, but has the how has your job changed when it comes to interviewing people and in your work, um, you know, on the show behind the scenes as well? How has that shifted and adjusted because of COVID? Like instead of interviewing people, maybe at their a housewife at her mansion or a red carpet, <laughs> you're now doing a, maybe a Zoom. How has that, how, how are you settling into that? It's a lot later? of Zoom. Um, but I, that's become the norm and it's become almost, I don't want to say my preference, but like mm. one, I think people are more comfortable when they're in a space that feels like it's theirs and that they feel like they might have a little control other, oh, instead of, you know, sitting in a chair, a bunch of lights on them. Um, I have access to more people more regularly. Like I wasn't mm. able to being based in LA talk to East coast housewives like throughout their seasons because it was so dependent on a press cycle and them coming out and being available to come into the studio and now it's like oh they are going to be available from their home office on this Thursday um, (laughs) which I think has made the interviews better and provided more content because we can instead of uh, press tours typically are around beginning and end of a season instead of like Mm -hmm. in the thick of it and to me the most interesting part of a season is in the thick of it when we know a little bit, but we don't know all of it. So we can kind of dig into um, what's still to come. And so that's opened up through this strange, strange time that we're still stuck in. I got definitely a little clammy at the beginning of COVID and still feel it sometimes about not being able to vibe off of a person's energy in the room. But the flip side of that is absolutely true I hadn't considered in that way it's such a good point yeah you're getting a different version of that person and maybe a more authentic version because they're comfortable and they feel like I mean that you you can (laughs) slam the laptop shut if you're done or whatever thankfully that has not happened um (laughs) Jennifer Aiden did have tech issues one time and was running around her house and all her kids were like doing work like school at home and one of the many Aiden children (laughs) <laughs> gave gave up their laptop so that mommy could work. Um, and she said she would write a note and let the school know that mommy had to use the laptop for her job. She writes a little note like, Dear Mrs. So-and-so, mommy had to go on entertainment tonight. <laughs> exactly. So Aiden child number three couldn't do their math homework. Exactly. My God. When it comes to authenticity, how close have you found the housewives who are often like housewife personas um, when interviewing them to the kinds of roles that they play on screen? Everyone is who you see them to be. Like, I've never interviewed someone and gone, oh, you're so different. There's obviously like more nuances. People are humans when they're in front of you. Um, But like their personalities that you see on this show are that's who you get. I think people just need to remember, it's like these people are, are real people having real reactions, but in produced situations. They wouldn't be necessarily hanging out with this group of women or attending this event. But whatever they're experiencing there is real. Just the confines of which the reality is coming through is produced. And, you know, Bravo announced this week that they are bringing Bravo back. <laughs> Lucky number three. We didn't get the 
second one, but we're here for the third. Um, uh, in October, back in New York City, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe I remember your panel. Oh. I don't know if you did more than one panel, but I remember I was in. I think I was like close to the front. I forget. I think I was like with Tracy Morrissey in the seat watching your moderation. This is not a great memory for me, Sarah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> watching your moderation of the Beverly Hills panel, which yeah. to all the AGs out there, and you'll know more info, obviously, on all of it, including the timing, but it was the Denise Generation cast maybe right before the Italy trip? Or? Yes. So it was the first season after Lisa Vanderpump had left the show, mm-hmm. which created a domino effect of... <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know how much I should share, but like... There were boundaries let's, let's with share. there let's were share. there were boundaries with which mm-hmm. questions could be asked, <laughs> and certain mm-hmm. things were off limits, but certain things were all that anybody wanted to ask. Um, so that made it a little bit complicated. It was also like the one of the last panels of the weekend, so people had seen a lot and done a lot. I had been in a basement talking to people, not going to anything. <laughs> like I had not seen what any of this worked like, um, and so yeah, so it was. The season Garcelle was joining and Sutton was joining, but they were not there. So it was just like, and Kyle had left BravoCon before the panel. So she had done other panels, but wasn't there for that one. And I think that was really the the missing piece was because in that group, when they are looking for somebody to answer for the group, they all turn to Kyle. And when you don't have Kyle, you get Lisa Rinna then turning to the audience and like screaming at them. Um, So that was that journey. Um, so yeah, we, we, we're hoping for a different panel experience (laughs) come BravoCon 2022. I mean, I have to say, first off, it was in the largest event space for, for the con. I mean, what a perfect title thinking it now, but, um, (laughs) it was a perfect space because, you know, it's a big space, a lot going on. You would think that the Beverly Hills cast would be would be firing on all cylinders because so many other, I mean, going to the Atlanta panel was like literally an audience with Jesus. Portia was carried out of her wheelchair. She had right. injured her foot <laughs> and placed on the couch. I was front row screaming my ass off. I, there are, I have video footage of me just absolutely losing my shit. So I think the expectation was that Beverly Hills would, kind of crackle a little bit there'd be like a little bit of a fire burning and we were on the same page i think it was you know the lvp stuff was touchy they didn't want to touch it the season was in production they didn't want to talk about anything they didn't want to spoil anything Mm -hmm. which bravo i think since BravoCon has gotten a little more comfortable with teases coming out and like you know talking about life events especially on beverly hills where these are housewives but also largely public figures who kind of exist mm. outside of housewives. So I know, it was a perfect storm of a beautiful disaster. Um, but like there were fun moments like Lisa Rinna getting up and dancing, Erica right, right, Jane right. teaching the world how to pat the pee. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there were little takeaways, but it was like you'd ask a question and it was like, uh-huh, sure. And it's like, okay, we're moving on. Let's get going. It felt a little bit like they all thought that they were too cool for school, which 
from a performance perspective, there's a difference between like your persona, but BravoCon's a little bit of a performance and you are playing to a crowd. And it was wild to see someone ask Erica Jane, who at that point was just Erica Jane, <laughs> living her best life as a superstar. And correct me if I'm wrong on this also, please feel free to tell me to go fuck myself because I, I could be getting this wrong. But like there was a question, every panel essentially had a Q&A and there was a question from someone asking, or you might've asked, you know, like who's your musical influence or something along those lines. An easy, fun question. You could have fun with it. You could get serious with it. And she refused to answer. She said, I want to keep that to myself. And it was at that point that I literally, my operating system and my soul just turned off. I was like, no more of this. These women are too much. We went to the audience questions earlier than anticipated just because it was like, oh, they're not given. So like, let's get some interaction. Yeah. And somebody asked, I think, who, who her like dream duet would be or like right. collaboration. That's and that's where that was. So yeah, it was a lot of that. I think they were also like all on flights immediately within like a, two hours of that panel ending. Like, I believe Lisa Rinna was like in her plane outfit on stage. Um, so I think they were just like over the weekend, over the day that as we know that season, they were like all not really vibing anyway. Mm -hmm. So it was just a lot. Well, I have to say, I thought you did such an amazing job. And I also have to say it was just, it was their fault. They were yeah. not interested in, in playing ball essentially and and BravoCon to say that this was like one of those crazy moments because it stood out because everybody seemingly everyone else a hundred celebrities were willing to play ball except for BH and yet the season is coming up and I feel like these women maybe last season was a little bit of a study guide in the sense of like when the LA Times does a feature you can't hide. You need to get used to the idea that you're going to be asked tough questions. Maybe it'll be at a one-off annual event, or maybe it'll be every day of filming for three months. But, you know, the kid gloves are no longer. And also who paid for them? Were they burn victims? <laughs> I also think the kind of cast chemistry, it was so, it was such a unified front. It was like all versus Denise at that time. Even like before, this is before all the Brandy Italy stuff had come out, but like they mm. were not, you know, uh, they were coming for her regardless. Um, but like the introduction of Garcelle and Sutton and Crystal has like really shifted point of view and conversation within the group. And it's not the Fox Force 5 leading, the, you know, saying, having the final word every time now. How do you think the women feel about the phrase Fox Force 5 at this point? Do you mean the women within the Fox Force 5 or those yeah. outside of it? Oh, yeah. Outside hates it yeah. as most I think of the ones in, I think the ones inside like it. They gave it to themselves. Lisa Rinna like, named them. So I don't think it's like, I think they're all about it. And how do you feel about the upcoming season? What are you hearing? What so are I've you seen feeling? the first episode. Have, I was going to ask. Um, I'm intrigued excited i think you know last season really set the set the standard of what we think mm -hmm. from that show it feels like it's back in in the same realm it existed in the first few seasons where it's like real stories are happening it's not just pot shots and petty stuff anymore like the first episode i don't think it's a spoiler to say is all about 
Dorit and the break-in. Like, that's... Oh, wow, they start with that? Well, because that happened within the first... Like, I don't even think they were fully in production yet when that happened. Like, they were starting to film, but... So, yeah, so that's, like, the season started and that happened. Um, So, it's, like, it starts off with real, true drama. And I think anybody doubting the, like, truth of that story will change their mind after watching the episode. I mean, honestly, I I know that there are housewife truthers and some of it leads in interesting directions, but I have to say when it's anything involving a violent altercation, especially one where, like, the safety of children is in question, you just got to take everyone's word for it, including people who are filing, you know, uh, records and reports like the police and investigations that, of course, it happened. Of course, it happened. And there's like there's never before released um, like home footage. security footage and stuff in there that's just like it's very eerie and scary. And she shares a lot. And so I, it's an interesting. It reminds me not to the same extreme, but of what was it season two. Or three, when the Taylor Armstrong stuff happened and they had to open the season on Russell's death and kind of pull back. It's kind of that same, like, a bad thing happened and we have to talk about it immediately. That's so interesting that you reference the Taylor storyline. I immediately think not of Housewives, but I immediately think of Kim K in Paris because that episode of Kardashians was incredibly intense. Similar, they do, there is other story and stuff happening in the first, so it's not, it's not like the full hour, maybe it's more than an hour is all about that, but it is a lot of it. And what do you feel about the season as a whole? Obviously, you have access, I mean, talk about word on the street, you are... You have a residence on that street. You often get the first word. Uh, There's been so much discussed about whatever happens or is happening with Kathy and Rinna and maybe even Kathy and Kyle. Is there any clarity that you can provide as to what you even, even as just a Bravo-holic? Yeah, I mean, I have no, like, firsthand information on this one. I Mm. think... I'm very interested to see it play out because I want to know what exactly Lisa is inserting herself into. Um, But it seems that maybe Kathy had some not so nice things to say about Kyle behind her back that then Lisa brings to Kyle's attention. Um, And I, it seems also that the, like those rumors of the, I don't know that a slur was used, but there was, there's obviously something with Kathy and Erica as well and Erica trying to like there's a moment in the trailer where Kyle's like do you want the heat off you so you're trying to make Kathy look bad and Erica says yeah exactly or something to that effect so there's there's some sort of I don't know if they're related or two separate incidents but some sort of Erica Rinna against Kathy there is a moment if I remember correctly of um of Erica saying something along the lines of like you guys came in hot for me you should be doing the same to Kathy but that comparison (laughs) yeah it's like unless unless it's like comes out that there's some nefarious business dealings (laughs) and like we're dealing with different we're playing different games I mean uh, 
Erica, innocent till proven guilty, isn't and isn't actually facing any criminal charges. Um, I have to say that because it's like, it gets so messy. Um, but yeah, it's I don't I don't know. It's legal issues involving orphans and widows, whether she knew anything about it or not, is different than Kathy maybe saying something she shouldn't have. And yet, that's such an interesting point because it goes straight in hand with Erica's seeming strategy this season, this season, which is to play a little bit of personality politics and say, you know, I was in hot water before, so it's someone else's term, turn. And by the way, regardless of whether or not that water is scalding hot, I don't give a shit about anyone who got burned by it but me. The fact that she explicitly says that in the trailer. I'm interested to see how the audience receives Erica. I've always liked Erica. Obviously, it's gotten more complicated in the mm. <laughs> last couple or the last year and then now this season. But she's she is not the Erica we saw last season and she's not the Erica we saw at Reunion in that premiere episode. She's not the Erica that we saw last season. No. You know, you're giving me eyes, and I'm very into it. You're giving me eyes. There's like a little dot, dot, dot I can see, and your like little eye circles, whatever those it's, are called. Because I, um, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's like there's some very interesting moments in that premiere. Can I just say, having not seen the premiere episode, that I would assume she's going all hands on deck into super villain. Like, I don't care. The worst thing that will ever happen to me probably has happened. I don't give a fuck about literally anything. And also, I'm really mad. I do think there is an anger undercurrent, for sure. Oh, my God. Is there? I mean, you've had access to so many Bravo lebs and and obviously um, superstars and celebrities uh, in and outside the Bravo world, but watching how Erica has responded to things, which I don't know, hasn't been entirely successful. What would your counsel to her be? That's a loaded question. Um, I think she has said what she believes the truth to be so far. Like I truly do believe what comes out of her mouth is what she believes. Um, I think she just, I think last year she was so in such a weird, uh, trying to figure out where the line was and the line was moving and didn't know what she could and couldn't mm-hmm. say. I think she should have, I think in hindsight, she could have been more direct and upfront with whatever information she had in the moment so that things didn't, because the issue with reunion that never was resolved is the women were like, why wouldn't you just tell us? You say you're an open book, but you won't just tell us. And I think if she had just said, all the things she wound up saying in the end, in the moment, that would have solved a lot of both the audience's feelings about her and the women's feelings about her. And I also wonder, this is such a left turn, but bear with me. This is how my brain works. No, I'm happy to go on the ride. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes it, it begs the question, where what's the capacity? Because with Erica, it, it seems like, it feels like both, by Crystal's question at the reunion and and Crystal's response and conversation in the trailer, that there's a conversation here around understanding empathy, like understanding empathy, spotlight, and so on and so forth. Like, what is Erica's ultimate 
capacity. And then I think of the Jersey finale <laughs> and the Jersey after show, which, guys, I watched twice and is fucking insane. This specific finale after show was wackadoo. But I, I think about... Teresa's capacity and it's like no disrespect to Erica and comparing the two but I do think there is some similarity there in having what seemed to be understandable conversations noting the privilege of not being the deer in the in the headlights but like conversations around this is the environment what are we not understanding here because you're there's a big assumption around intent and it feels a little bit like Teresa's sort of responding similarly like she's not it's not it's not working it's this weird trying to control a narrative that is going to happen regardless (laughs) like there is no controlling this narrative this is information that's going to be out there and discussed what you can control is how you respond to it so I think it's that's the flip there is they're trying to take full control over the situation instead of just responding to the situation do you think that there is any ounce of truth in Teresa's argument that uh, Marge had some sort of ill intent which could include making someone feel bad or could include knowing this is good content for the show which is in Teresa's head is is ill intent I well I think it was very much I think Marge is a smart person who knows there's a camera up we cannot just film ourselves eating like i think she knows conversations have to happen we saw at the pool party in the first episode she's like louis she just goes directly to reese and says louis needs to discuss the video like she i mean she was <laughs> producing in that moment um right. and i think Teresa, weirdly even though she's been on the show the longest doesn't think in terms of what makes the show like what's the moment for the show i think she weirdly is this exception to whatever the rule is of housewives of she just is living her life (laughs) and existing in this weird environment whereas everyone else is like very aware they're making a show um so yeah i don't think at the end of the day i don't think margaret had any ill intent behind any of the louis stuff I think, and what she has maintained, I talked to her twice this season, once in the Mm. beginning and once just at the end, and she maintained in both conversations, even after watching the season back, she was attempting to open the door for Teresa and Louis to own the narrative of his past so that it could be done and settled and on camera so that the discussions about it would fall by the wayside. Instead, by ignoring talking about it or avoiding talking about it, you know, not wanting to talk about it at all, they only made that spiral worse. And from what I hear about reunion, it doesn't, nothing is really resolved there. Either Louis, I guess, spoke his piece and people think he answered all the questions that they had throughout the season. So I'm interested to see that. But Teresa, I guess, doubled down kind of on all the things she had said throughout the season. I mean, it's shades of Jacqueline, you slid into the FBI's DMs. <laughs> Like, where is this coming from, Teresa? Where, well, it's sweetie? just the question Margaret asked every, both times I talked to her was, she says she's protecting Louis. Protecting him from what? Like, this stuff is going to come out anyway. This happens even if there was nothing questionable in his past or anything that popped up that people were like, what the hell is this? There would still be articles and media coverage of who is Louis Ruelas? Who is Teresa Judice's fiance? Like, that content's going to come out no matter what. 
So why not paint the picture you want the world to see instead of trying to hide parts of it? And this, and I truly don't have an answer to this myself. If you were in a, and it's actually an unfair question, but Marge keeps asking it and I just, I find it interesting how people respond. But like if, if you were in an incredibly happy relationship and there was no truth here, would you be responding in the way that Teresa and Louie have? Right. If there's nothing to hide or there's nothing to be ashamed of or annoyed about, then why are those emotions surfacing? There's, I don't have an answer either. <laughs> and from Teresa's perspective, she's like, of course you mean ill because that's what I always mean when I do things. When I, you know, say the head the ponytail pull is a good idea or when I encourage Jen to call some people and find out if there's some shit about Evan like Teresa thinks about it as of course you didn't mean well because I never do (laughs) that's what I think is tough for her now and I think to kind of I guess counterbalance the point I made of Teresa not knowing like not fully realizing she's making a show I think the one thing she does acknowledge is that in her experience, she's always been attacked on the show. So she mm. exists in this defensive space anytime she's on the show or around the people from the show. She is a protector, and it's not always directly about a person being attacked. I think often she's the protector of the ideal. So, like, don't ask her question. We have, Marge has seen every season, I'm sure, like, as has everybody in that cast, like, except maybe Teresa, like, we have seen Teresa say on camera to Jacqueline, who was her true, very good friend, don't ask me about magazine covers, regardless of whether or not I've been paid to speak out. You don't have the right to ask me about things, even if I've talked about it to strangers (laughs) for a cover and some cash, you're not allowed to go this far. So why did Mar did Marge really think that this was a door that would open to something positive? Or was that really her responsibility to even think that? I mean, we have to remember behind that camera is a team of producers who are having conversations yeah. with the women and discussing like ways into things they know about or things that should come up. So that is part of the equation here too, and the pressure of that. Um, I, by no means do I think like Margaret is like production's puppet and like doing whatever they want. But I do think even if somebody suggests it, it could get in the back of your head and could pop up. Um, but I also like, I don't know, I'm something that bothers me in covering the shows, talking to the women is like, there are two things. New Jersey, it comes up a lot where it's, why do the women only talk about Teresa? Or like, you're only talking about Teresa in your interviews. Well, one, I asked them a question about Teresa. Like, they didn't just come (laughs) on and just like start talking about Teresa. But two, it's the the idea that we shouldn't be asking these women who are meant to be in a friend group about the (laughs) actions of their friend who, you know, you are who you surround yourself with, whether you were cast (laughs) to be with them or you chose of your own volition. Um... It's just like a bizarre mentality to have. Like, they're on a show. And it's like, when I talk to Teresa, I ask her about all the other women, but it's that's never an issue. But if I ask any of the other women about Teresa, then all the commentary is, all they do is talk about Teresa. 
Teresa shouldn't give grant you another interview. All you do is talk about her to the other women. Like, have you seen my interview with Teresa? Where she said she will never be friends with Margaret again and that Margaret is disgusting. <laughs> like, so it's, the fandom is so fascinating to me and it really, it like comes and goes. It's a tide. It changes season after season. But there are certain figures who, like Lisa Vanderpump was that way when she was on Beverly Hills, where her fans were so intense. And then the Teresa fans are that way on New Jersey. The Kenya fans are that way in Atlanta. Like there's one housewife in every season. Yeah. Because I just, so I sat down with Kenya. We had a great conversation. She trashed Marlo. Then I interviewed Marlo. We had a great conversation. She trashes Kenya. Equal. The karmic balance is there. Queens. Queens. But then no one is mad that Kenya trashed Marlo. Everyone's mad that Marlo trashed Kenya. I am. I don't know why I'm so shocked by this. It's and it's, always, it's just so strange to me because it's like, I mean, the, the Kenya fans will also be like, you never interview Kenya. And my favorite thing to do is just send them a link back of like, here you go. <laughs> um, Here's the super cut. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting that there are these certain figures that the audience, I don't want to say the audience, but like that they're followers are hyper protective of and like get very vocal about and love to like snitch tag and it's like that's great that you tag them they already follow me they saw this content if it was on their feed like it's just this weird i don't know there's a whole psychology that could be unpacked in fandom and the need Mm. for validation from the figures of which you are a fan that someone should unpack i'm not the person to do it but i'm so I'm like, why do you want to alert this person that something bad was said about them? Do you think they will like, thank you so much? I didn't know this interview was like, they all have Google alerts for their names. If their name is mentioned in any article somewhere, it it's on, was sent right to their phone. Like they've seen it. I mean, this is super fascinating. Number one. Number two, the value system of what is bad often starts with you're talking about them. You're not allowed to talk about this person because I'm afraid of what the response is going to be. And then these women are some, in some cases so used to being coddled to the point of like a militant support that I wonder how much that influences their behavior on camera. Because as you said, there are, it's not every house, you know, like I stand for Shan. We are a humble people. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love Shannon. I love Shannon, but we're not like that. Like we, she's a broken queen, yeah. and we love all we love all of the many pieces of Shannon. In OC, the closest figure to kind of that realm was Vicky, but never to the level of like the LVP Teresa right. stands. And it's just I I have to wonder for some of these women who are online. Like I think I think of LVP as more in touch with what people are saying. Than maybe Teresa is, but Teresa gets a vibe. She gets yeah, it. Yeah, I, knows I when, like, think Teresa, like, the more recent season, she seems to be keeping more yes. tabs of what the bigger conversation or the outside conversation is. Yes, and maybe this is giving too much credit to the fandom, which I don't mean in a derogatory way, but, like, I wonder how much that specific militant-level support of – Whatever anyone else says is wrong because my queen doesn't like to hear it. 
I wonder how much that influences the way she responds because she knows her fan base isn't going anywhere and she also knows that they're going to protect her regardless. Right. Yeah, I mean... I don't even I don't know if that can ever be answered because how do you prove that or figure that out? I mean, I, I I feel like we're watching it. We're watching a test case right now with Teresa where she's sort of saying things and speaking them into existence in terms of like, I was an equal friend to Marge and we'll get the echoes and the waves of whatever. But also like you're wrong for discussing this. And because I don't like it, and I really don't like it, I know that you didn't come from a place of good intention. And then it's just kind of reverberated. Right. And I think the audience loves this idea of good versus evil heroes and villains. Mm. But it's like, that's not what this show is. Obviously, there are like bad actors or people who do malicious things from time to time. But I don't think anybody who is on these shows is like all good, all bad, which I think is an interesting lens to go back and watch all the Erica stuff from last season under where people were painting her to be this Mm. villain. And it's like two things can be true at the same time. There are victims of Tom's alleged crimes, Mm -hmm. but also the high possibility at this point that Erica was a victim of Tom's alleged, you know, abuses of power as well. Um, And like, I just, I think sometimes the audience looks at the show as like the text, like this is the scripture and only what exists on the show is the truth. (laughs) And it's like, there is so much outside of that. And that is ostensibly supposed to be the hook. I think for a lot of people, because the show began as a, I mean, Orange County prime example, like these are a specific type of woman, a specific type of housewife who seem to have it all, but let's actually see how that works and the price that they're paying. So the setup of the show or the way that the show ended up working from the start was to say that even if you have a lot of luxury or money or the appearance of money, things can sometimes still be bad. And we get that. I think that's what keeps a lot of people wanting to talk about this and also, you know, understanding the nuances in women's stories and the fact that we're not all good. We're not all all evil, minus Danielle Straub. But like with with anomaly exceptions, like we you know, like that people are usually multifaceted. And yet there is just like everybody in life has a little bit of a a, a weak spot in, in terms of like, oh, don't talk about that thing. It's that it's that one thing. If it's a family member, if it's a work thing, if it's a friendship, don't if it's some a personal whatever, don't talk about that one thing. That's the one thing I don't I don't necessarily yada yada. And that sometimes is the framework for an entire fan persona. Don't talk about that one thing for To that I say years. if you don't want to talk about something in your life, do not go on reality television. Like mm the whole conceit of this genre of television is that you are willing to share every nook and cranny of your life, no matter the consequences. And then there are people like Melissa. I mean, it's a small community, but certainly the Richard sisters are in there too, where talking about it, maybe talking about how you're talking about somebody else in your family or whatever else becomes the framework for a season And you then have to deal with your family member maybe not being happy about how you fulfill your job at work. 
but also her fandom is going to have thoughts for you. Like, how do you navigate that? I feel like that's what we're seeing in the lead up to the reunion is like Melissa and Joe being like, I don't, what? Yeah, I mean, I think (laughs) this season, I think of all the seasons has maybe broken them the most of them. Like Mm. in this season of Teresa's life where she is claiming to be the happiest she's ever been. Why are we still like second tier? Why are we still dumped upon? Yeah, Melissa doesn't know as of a, I had her on AG a couple weeks ago, doesn't know when Teresa's wedding is going to be. Yeah, no, it's it's very, I think Joe and, Ter, Joe and Melissa treat Teresa like family. Uh-huh. And I think Teresa maybe treats them like coworkers at this point. And maybe always did. And maybe all. I mean, I, I think obviously before season three when they joined, there was a different yeah. story. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I noticed kind of, Melissa's always plays it very even keel about Teresa. Like she's, mm-hmm. and I think time has only made that more so of like, she knows who yes. this woman is and how to operate with her. But I think she's starting to question like, do I want, how much do I want to give Mm. to that and how much is that taking away from like my own boundaries my own sanity my own feeling that like I also am worthy season after season and I talked to Melissa about this it's like Mm -hmm. you get told you don't have a storyline you get told that your storyline is Teresa but it's and she like her defense was season open with Teresa talking about my family like well that's and then the people get so the tree huggers get so like <laughs> it's like an itemized receipt. They're like, actually, no, you were talking about there. She was talking about her brother Joe. That has nothing to do with you. It's like, hmm, well, if someone's married to somebody, that does have something to like. It, just the mental gymnastics the fandom will jump through to defend a point is fascinating to me. Um, totally agree. Also noting that when I watched the finale for maybe the third time before we recorded, I watched how Teresa was responding to things. And honestly, like no joke, dead serious. I thought to myself, I totally get it. I totally get where she's coming from. I don't agree with the assumption she's trying to prove as fact about Margaret, but I get that this is a woman who feels like the entirety of the future of her relationship is at risk here. And yet I then think dot, 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 what does that say about your relationship? If this is what's going to bring it down, you have been to federal prison. This is not the worst thing that you're going to go through. And yet, God forbid. Maybe she equates everything to that. So like that is her reference point for rock bottom or bad things. And so she is so scared of going anywhere near that orbit Mm. that she's trying to keep everything above board in some way. But I also, the point you made, it's like you can have positive feelings about everyone on the cast. Just, and and empathize, sympathize, or understand a point of view of everyone on the cast. You do not have to say, this is my person and they're the only representative of me on this show. Like, Everyone can be a way in. And also you don't need to um, defend behavior that's 
seemingly indefensible. Like some of the stuff she said about Marge, like the body shaming, the fat shaming, it's just like you don't need to... I do wish, because I did appreciate Margaret calling them all out. Like, none of you said Mm -hmm. anything. I did wish Jackie had been like, well, I said something. (laughs) That moment was missing. Because I think it was like, it was important that it was Jackie who was the one who said the thing. Totally. And I also, when Teresa responded, that might have been like a little bit of an edit. But when Marge is bringing it up to Teresa and Teresa immediately is like, I wasn't fat shaming you. I genuine gut instinct was like, how does she know what that phrase is? Yeah, because that was that Did phrase. They stop had, the camera. That phrase had <laughs> not been invoked yet. Yeah, no, that was. But I also fully believe that maybe Teresa didn't think she was fat shaming her. Maybe she thinks just like commenting on what someone's eating has nothing to do with, you know, their weight. <laughs> totally, but she doubles down on on the after show, and Jen, in trying to help her, is like, "Yeah, but you were trying to be shady," and Teresa's like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> "I don't know." Oh well, yeah, Teresa I don't never. Really talk about- Dinner timing, intermittent fasting. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know if she would ever like be able to explain it, but I think Teresa never thinks anything she does is malicious or mean. Or if she does, she thinks it was deserved. Right. Like everything is like housewives love the I I never start a fight, I just end it kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And and this is a woman who for her first season has flipped tables. <laughs> So, I mean, it it is the thing that I appreciated about Marge. I wouldn't have that kind of recall. Like, I would, I just, like, I'm not that. Like, I'm a little bit, shout out P.K. Kemsley Galley, my beloved (laughs) fish son. Like, I've got a little bit of, like, a beta, like, in in the sense of, like, I'll remember a feeling of disliking someone, but I might not remember the specifics. And I know it's different because you're filming a show and your confessionals, whatever else. But for Marge, speaking of itemized lists, to have an itemized receipt of like, and then you did this, and then you called me a cunt, and then you did that, 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 that. I, I, I honestly was surprised while she was saying it. I was like, oh my God. It was a lot of examples. 40%. But I fully, I understood. I was like, oh, you filmed a whole season. By this point, you're right. like probably halfway through your interviews about the season. So you kind of understand where maybe production is laying the mile markers of the story um and that's the other thing is it's like it has to be a total mind f for the women to be living their lives filming their lives and then like six weeks in you have now we've got to start talking about six weeks ago and all that kind of surfacing um but yeah i think it's also why jackie said you do not want margaret to be your enemy because she knows everything like she has total recall of everything I also think that it's probably very helpful that she's not drinking in drinking scenes. Oh, yeah. Because you, you're you not going to have the champ's brain where you wake up the next day and you're like, there was chaos, but I don't remember. She is sober in every sense of the word, not to say that she lives a sober life, but in the sense of like being sober and contemplative. Present in the moment. She's present, and right. Like the, Teddy Mellencamp, the season she was pregnant, was like, I was shocked at all the like little things <laughs> that I would normally not pay attention to because I was not drinking. So I was just like observing these women and just taking note of, oh, that happened and this happened. I think this is my unpopular Bravo opinion. Love Teddy this. Mellencamp was underrated in terms of what she brought to the show. Think about the season she was on. What would they have been had she not been around? 
Nothing would have happened. She was the person driving whatever story they had forward. The stories weren't, you know, the best stories of all time. <laughs> but what would the season have been without that woman? Um, I don't disagree with you. And yet on a recent Andy Scrolls, I forget, it might have been honestly the last episode or one six months ago, but someone referenced Teddy and I was like, nope, hater, gotta go, <laughs> bye-bye. And you know what it is? It's not, I didn't necessarily feel the way that others felt as the episodes aired all of my extreme dislike and distaste for lack of a better term of Teddy happened when we found out she was running an eating disorder oh, factory all in oh, and she went and she went all in like there's a moment I would think when you're doing this thing that has a huge impact on someone's health where if like major publications let alone people online are saying this is unsafe or dangerous where you take a second and maybe you make some changes and she did not she's doing the same dangerous thing she did before and from that point on i was like well you can go fuck yourself like i wasn't feeling that way before but i absolutely am now and it's wild that it was from stuff that happened off camera well tell me how you would think about this because i was because that all happened when she was let go from the show which also like Love her for being maybe the first housewife in history to be honest about getting fired. Um, and not, yeah, that was a great video. And not releasing, she's, she's blocked me, but that was a great, but, video. and not <laughs> releasing some statement right. of like it's time to move on. Yeah, I would have been fascinated to watch her have to explain and defend the program on camera and for that to have been a story on the season that could have been. But here's my problem with that who's holding her accountable? Who's asking questions and not letting go? I don't think it's Sutton. It's not Sutton, but it's like, okay, your friend Crystal has joined the show because that would have been the same season. And she is sharing her eating disorder history and life with disordered eating. What kind of conversation could have come from that? I mean... Which I I don't know that Crystal's first (laughs) season... I don't know if Crystal would have been like game to do that first season, especially with like someone she considers a friend. But I, don't, I would have been interesting to see. I think there's also, like, there could have been an interesting story to tell and seeing, like, Stassi and Kristen having to try and defend their behavior and figure it out. And, like, mm. I don't know what... I don't think there's a good moral way to have done that, especially in the, um, mm-hmm. like, political climate we have been in and we especially were in in that moment. Like, maybe it was like, and their salaries will be donated to these charities. Like, they were doing this for free just to keep mm-hmm. their jobs. But it's like, I think there is, I don't watch reality TV to like see beacons of morality. I'm, I want to see people make mistakes and figure it out and learn from it. Um, and there was like a lot of big mistakes happening and Bravo was like, and you're off the show and you're off the show and you're off the show, which I understand every decision that was made. I just wonder what stories could we have seen and would they have been, you know, constructive to the larger conversation? Maybe not. And maybe we were saved from like doubling down into some nonsense, but I just wonder a lot about what could have been. I think that's a question that people are asking. And maybe they're, the conversations that are happening now are slightly different, even just through the lens of entertainment, where it's like, okay, well, Vanderpump Rules 
is kind of a flop mm -hmm. right now. So, like, there is a question of this was obviously something that took production by surprise that they weren't anticipating. So I read Stasi's book, and I'm sure Bravo's okay. going to watch the like New York Times list next week and see what the readout is on oh, her. Oh, interesting. Like, does the book sell or not? Um, but she talks all about what the plans were for the show in the book. Like, and that makes me think, oh, maybe they will never hire her again because she has exposed secrets. Like she talks money and she just lays, like she gives a lot of information in the book. Wow. Um, but she talks about how season nine, is that what we just watched? Um, I have no idea. I watched the reunion. <laughs> <laughs> whatever <laughs> see, whatever oh, season just sorry. ended and like ended okay. everyone's romantic partnerships. <laughs> the what was supposed to happen was either begin or end with Stasi and Bo's wedding, mm -hmm. and that would transition into Valley Rules, and would follow. It would be like what they're doing with Roni, where it's legacy and a new cast. So the legacy mm -hmm. cast goes off, exists. It's like the show you know is now called this. And the original show is now, it's was going to be like the Dana, Max, all the people who then like left after they were introduced mm -hmm. in season eight. So that's, I think, also why the season eight finale was edited almost like a series finale where they were like walking out to the very slow version of the song because they knew or they thought they knew they were coming back and doing a different show. And then a lot happened. Do you think that there is... I mean, obviously, you know, the points being raised about, like, are they annoyed with the info that she's giving is an interesting one. Do you think that there's a place for Kristen, Stassi, God help us, Jax, in the eyes of the network? I don't know. I do, th I do wonder what their decisions would have been pulled back, you know, like, in 2022, is does the, the decision you made in 2020... Yeah. Hold up, or I think it holds up, but would you make the same one with the information mm -hmm. you have now? Lisa wants them back on the show. Like, she has made no secret of, right. like, did not agree with the that decision. With and right. I think, especially, like, <laughs> and Stassi talks about this in the book as well. The, um, the editor who went on whatever podcast and was like, Stassi and Bo, we call them the heroes, blah, blah, blah. And Stassi like unpacks all that, but they really did think that Stassi and Bo were kind of the main characters. Wow. So like, I mean, it's kind of like, when you know, somebody decides to leave a hit show and they got to reconfigure. Okay. So we don't have Michael Scott anymore. So the office is now this was kind of the same predicament Vanderpump rules gave itself. And it is also not to compare the situations in uh, as identical ones, but the reasons that they were ostensibly fired, even though they weren't fired, their contracts were not renewed, and everyone gave the network credit for firing <laughs> these people, which they never did. They just waited for everyone to assume that this – they waited for people to connect the dots. They never, ever, not to this day, have ever, unless I'm mistaken, ever said that they were fired, let alone no, the reasons behind it. No, were not picked up. And I do right. think it was actually like Evolution, the production company that came out first – and said they will not be returning because mm. um, it's like that's the other thing is people think it's all a collaboration between networks and production companies and there's a lot of voices in the room 
I just would wonder, speaking of would that decision still be made, regardless of should it be made, should it have been made, in the era of Ramona, where we don't know what her future will be, but she certainly seemed to survive the most recent season in many ways because they didn't have a reunion. So she wasn't able to double down. But like, would Stassi and Kristen and Jax potentially be held to a standard for off-camera uh acts regardless of how repugnant they are when Ramona is doing stuff on camera that they're now using as a part of plot I mean yeah it's a very good question and I I asked Andy Cohen about the Ramona equation and he was like there's nothing to say (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I think it, it is interesting in that Ramona is always the (laughs) <laughs> the person who everything is brought back to. But it's also like, not to make excuses for the woman, but it's what you expect from somebody who is in their 60s versus somebody who is in their 20s and the worlds in which those people came up in and how they see the world and exist in the world. Um, I think that's probably the conversation Bravo's having that the fans are not taking into consideration. That it cannot, it's not always going to be a one size fits all model. For a number of reasons. Yes. And I, I, well, I I think in the sense of like people can think very differently from you and you might hate what they're thinking and saying, but you know, like what are we doing by creating an environment in which there is, because it's New York city, there are going to be people who are very, I know that it's like as a New Yorker, a New York Republican is like a Democrat literally in every other state. Like the, <laughs> right. the framework, like Mike Bloomberg was a Republican right. man. It's like as Democrat as a Democrat can be. Like the, there is a, a difference here and even how um, conservatives are seen because New York City as a whole is a pretty progressive li- liberal space. So I think there is something to be said for like, oh, but so-and-so voted for this person. And it's like, well, you might hate everything that that person stands for, but maybe there should be a spot for them in this universe. The one consideration that I would say, pivot back on a little bit, is the idea that it's because she's 60 and not 20, because I think of Southern Charm (laughs) and like Catherine Ravenel... did I just fuck up? Catherine, not Ravenel, Catherine, not T-Rav. Catherine, Catherine Dennis, Dennis, almost Catherine yes. Ravenel. Oh my God, she wishes, which is the worst thing I'll ever say, but like is in her 20s and and was and maybe still be, still is pretty steadfast in her beliefs. I think it's to me less about age, noting that that is mm, not entire. I think it's a... It's a, a component, but not the main component. Right. But I do think location is a big thing and background of how you were raised and brought up. Like, Catherine grew up right. on a plantation. A literal plantation. Like a little, like, I have, I have been to it. We did a tour, like, we did a closet oh tour God. and stuff. And she literally went, like, and those Jesus. are the fields. I was like, okay. Oh my God. But those people, those people, it's such a terrible term. The people in Charleston, I don't know how they feel, you know, globally, but like the people, the cast members who I've spoken to did not understand why still calling their land a plantation was a bad thing. Like they, they struggled to understand the weight that word carries. Like even Eliza came on the show 
and was promoting a plantation candle company company. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Um, that is not surprising. And I also think of Ramona on social media trying to explain to people that her idea of, like, can't we all just get along wrapped up in the use of saying all lives matter. She really thought that she was supporting communities, most especially black communities, by saying yeah. that because she really doesn't know any better, which is not an excuse, but I think it is. A- it informs the reading of the situation. Right. And I I forget, I don't know where she said this, but Ebony gave an interview, I think, while promoting this CBS Survivor show she's on. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen um, that. But talking about now that she's like so far removed from the right. season that was and looking back, she realized that the women were not fighting her on the point she was making. They were fighting her on making a TV show and not thinking that this these were the conversations the audience would want to see. And that mm. she wishes she had had that understanding while making the show. Because then she would have not necessarily dropped the conversations, but picked and chose her battles instead of making every conversation a fight to have the conversation. Yeah, I think she was in an impossible Impossible. Position. Especially that cast, because again, it's not a conversation specific when it comes to differences. And we're not even talking political, but like relational, even how you see your position on the show, the way that you're treated, the way that you've been created as a Bravo, the way that you're treated. There are different generations here. And the New York cast is overall an OG generation. Like Ramona is used to being treated a certain way including when she fucks up that it's a part of her shtick and this to me was like the first season because there were so many examples of it new york especially being hit so hard by covid and ramona absolutely lying her ass off about (laughs) not listening to fucking anything always at the worst moments like there were uh, the protests that happened um uh with the Black Lives Matter movement, there were so many egregious things, Black Shabbat, that she did, but she was used to people treating her with OG generations of like, yeah, I might say or do the wrong thing, but that's what I'm here for. That's the value I'm bringing with my brand. Right, and and, and saying and thinking universe. a verbal apology will just yeah. let it slide. I think so much about what that season would have been if Dorinda was still around and if it would have been better or worse. I think it would have been better. I think Dorinda could have helped navigate those conversations or at least like figure out how to shut Ramona up sometimes mm. <laughs> so that things were not so mucked up all the time. And the response I would say to that is, I think we're going to find out how that would have worked. Not to say that they're super similar in terms of personality, because I actually don't think that they are. But with Dorinda and Vicky on Girls Trip, because there's going to be a lot of conversation about COVID and politics and some other stuff. And we're going to see the ways that. Dorinda, who certainly doesn't know Vicky as well as she knows Ramona and doesn't have an established history or trust or anything else, we're going to see how she would respond 
knowing how um, politically informed she is and also that she can be easily triggered. I think we're going to see how that's going to play out. That, no, that's a good point. It will kind of be watching a, some sort of, I don't know, cosplay of Vicky as Ramona picture it and <laughs> take it, absorb it moment. Can I ask, um, just pivoting ever so slightly to Orange County, what your thoughts were coming out of the reunion? Part two allegedly happened. Part two <laughs> happened. I mean, it was like, it was like a one hour flight. It was up, it was down, you know, like, <laughs> and nothing happened. They didn't even do beverage service. Like, there was no, like, the biggest thing to come out of the reunion, which was a blip, was Shannon got a facelift. Um Looked great, by looked the way. Looked great. I mean, it's truly the best I think maybe anyone on Orange County has ever looked at a reunion. And it was a last-minute yeah. dress and a new face. Um, <laughs> but I did not think the season was as bad as the viewers kind of, like the Twitter Agreed. consensus was. Agreed. And I think that's an important thing to remember is like what yep. you are seeing on Twitter is not the world. Like, that's an echo chamber of people shouting the same thought back and forth, but, like, sometimes Mm -hmm. people popping in with an alternate thought. Um, Mm -hmm. I, Heather has explained it as a rebuilding year, and I think that's exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. I think the secret sauce to OC is and will always be Tamara Judge, and she should have never been removed from that show. She's one of those people Mm -hmm. where it's, like, people want her off, want her off, want her off. As soon as she's gone, they're like, nothing's happening. It's like, because you took away the person... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who makes stuff happen. Tamara yeah. created the modern, how, like how Housewives works. If you watch seasons mm-hmm. one and two of Orange County, it's a different show. She comes in and just starts like creating scenarios. Like not that it's defensible, but like Naked Wasted was like the first big thing. And it's like, oh yeah, they're these little like bits that make an episode. Tamara invented them. And I don't think she gets mm-hmm. the credit for that. Um, so I would actually like to kind of see this cast with Tamara back in the mix because I'd like to, there to be some sort of resolution, whether that's friendship ending or not, between her and Shannon. I do think, and Tamara's been vocal about this on her podcast, like the, I think Bravo made such a big deal about Heather's return that that mm-hmm. informed how Emily and Gina operated this season oh that's such an interesting point and so that they were kind of like we have to be with this woman because she's here to save our sinking ship and i think Tamara would have poked holes in that wow that actually took me that took my breath away right that is such a good point and you know i'm not against Tamara returning (laughs) i i get it i understand it i just have to say Regarding Shan, for whom we both know I stand, if every if if a lot of the viewership felt like this was a little bit of an all against one scenario, putting Tamra in the mix. Tamra came out and said she I know was on Team Shannon after watching the season. I don't know. Did she say that she was on Team Shannon? I saw that she said that she wasn't a fan of bullies. She's of not. A, she said where it's all against one. I would have. I will not speak as if it's fact, but I believe I saw some like some sort of Instagram question it was like, whose side are you on, Shannon or Gina, Emily, yes. Heather? And she said, Shannon. Right. I don't like a gang up. Right. 
And I think people took that as a, wow, there's a chance here. What I take that to, when I think in my head is that Tamara's thinking, I could just destroy her myself. I don't need a group to help me do it. And I am nervous for Shannon if Tamara comes back. I'm honestly, I'm nervous for Shannon, also known as I am nervous for myself. <laughs> my, my, my poor, my See, poor, I think they would find them queen. their way back to maybe not the friendship that was, I, but I think there could be something there. I, but I, th- I think the issue is Shannon would like to have that conversation off camera and Tamara's only right. willing to have that conversation on camera. Wow. That is a great piece of insight. Which is why Tamara is a phenomenal housewife. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think that Tamara, so Tamara would be like ready to fuck shit up with Emily and Gina. How do you think that she and Heather would get along? Oh, I think... I think she would call Heather out on moments that the audience was kind of like, what the fuck is this? Mm. Um, but I think they would be friendly. I think Tamara understands the game. I would love mm. to also see Tamara with this Emily she now says she loves. I think everybody fell in love with Emily this past season. Yeah, I'm extremely into Emily. Um, Very It's just like, Emily. it's different. I would also have loved to see Tamara experience Noella. Because I think she would have been like, what are you on? Why do you keep saying these things? Where is your proof? You cannot just like, she would have been the person who was, instead of this kind of like, we're kind of talking about the issue, but not, she would have laid into her. I mean, like, what did you hear? What did you, what do you think you heard? Where's your proof? What can we, like, she would have figured that stuff out. She did say every village needs its idiot when Andy asked her, which I thought was honestly, I've got to tell you, an iconic <laughs> I also wish Nicole James had stuck out this season because I would have liked to have seen her at reunion and heard her thoughts about all of it. And Noella has spoken so much for her and said Mm. things that Heather has said aren't true. And the only person who can, you know, say which side is the truth is Nicole James, who isn't saying anything. Noella said that Heather fucked some shit up. Andy said at the reunion that they would have shown it. Is that true? Yes, a thousand and ten percent. I think the moment Noella has blown up is the moment they've shown of Heather saying, cameras down, you over here. I think that is what was seen. Then I think there was probably some heated discussions without cameras, but maybe audible to the Chateau de Bro of Heather. Because <laughs> Heather and Terry have maintained they felt very betrayed by production, that they mm-hmm. felt it was a setup. Um, Mm -hmm. and Heather told me as much, there were heated conversations with production and she thought when she said, I'm quitting the show, she meant it. Right. And that she kind of, she finished out the night just to get people out of her house, but then had like no plans to film again. Um, but then slept on it and said, you know what? I can't let that be the narrative I go out on. Um, but yeah, I think if there was some... Because the the thing that has made Noella's story not hold up for me is she said it involved camera and production. So there's footage or audio. Everyone's mic'd. Even if they didn't have the visual, there would be audio from someone's microphone to play back of whatever this incident was. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say is that during filming, I was told some stuff about this situation. And I, of course, forgot about it. Because, again, I'm <laughs> right off the fish. But I have thought about it since, which was that 
allegedly production was very angry at Noella for even bringing this stuff on up on camera because I do think Heather Heather and Terry were really pissed about production threatened to leave or decided to leave there was some sort of very very long off-camera conversation that took place before she even came back downstairs which is why the $30,000 salmon was not able to be enjoyed on camera at a table they had to get it to go back god forbid um but I think that Nobody wanted Noella to discuss this stuff, and she decided to anyway. Yes. So when it comes to footage, I'm like, I don't know. Even though Andy had that look in his face where I was like, I know he's not lying. When he's like, if we had it, we would show it. But they haven't always shown moments, especially when they're ostensibly not in the middle of being filmed, even if it's happening during the middle of filming. But I do think this one in particular, because it was such a point, because the other thing is, I do think there was some sort of like, I don't know on what level, but agreement to like, Mm -hmm. the lawsuit has been mentioned, we will wrap that up, and then it cannot be the through line of the season. Like, it just cannot. Mm -hmm. And I think Noella was like, Tell me not to do something. I'm going to do it because I want to make good TV. I think I think mm-hmm. Ryan Bailey tweeted something that was like, Noella is what happens when someone has watched every episode of Housewives ever and then gets on the show, which I think is the truth. She, multiple Housewives told me cameras would go down. She would turn to them and say, how is my performance? Do you think the audience will love that? And the thing of it is... We can feel it. You're not good enough at this. You think that you're playing a part. Even the tenor of her voice drives me insane because I don't think it's real. And she comes across in a way of like a little, you know, a kind and yada yada. Don't make me say it. Don't make me say it. Just say it. Like everything was turned into a moment. Right. And it would have been nice to see just like having an actual conversation and trying to make your points at a human level instead of I'm on reality TV level. But I don't know how the thing with this, the thing with Noella is I don't think that she's necessarily a human in her real life and becomes a performer on in the middle of filming. Everything might be a performance. Right, which is how you land yourself in the the terrible situation that she's now in with this weird AF divorce. Like, I don't think that she was like really connected with other people and was just, oh my God, this person is totally different in every single possible way. And there are many, many unanswered questions that are just unanswered. There's no reason behind them when it comes to timing and he didn't want to be on the show and whatever. I, I don't. It, the most it feels tough. dangerous casting choice is a housewife who doesn't know who she is. Oh my God, Bryce! Oh, Mama from <laughs> Yes, continue. I think that's kind of what we saw with Noella. Is like this is a woman who's put on a lot of hats and tried out a lot of identities and has seemingly lived for other people or to be somebody mm. she thinks other people want her to be. And she, which wow. she got into at reunion of like talking about how mm-hmm. she didn't have a relationship with her dad until she entered mm-hmm. the entertainment industry. And then they kind of mm-hmm. had something in common, though he was a weatherman. So I was like, that's a, a bit of a, a stretch, but I see how you got there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just I. And I think the moment where Heather was like, you gave my daughter pornography and she was like, I am a liberal woman in Orange County. I'm like, what does that have to do with the fact that you gave an, you know, a, 
I guess, underage in the state of California child naughty playing cards. Like, that has nothing to do with this parent saying, I didn't appreciate you overstepping this boundary. I've, like, I have. Um, But yeah, I think she, I don't know that she knows who she fully is. I think she knows maybe who she wants to be or who she hopes to be. I would have also liked to have seen her as a mom because I think that would have informed so much about her life and maybe who she actually is. And her, you know, neither father signed off on either child being on the show. That's the other thing. She has a daughter that was never discussed on the show, which was absolutely bonkers to me, but I guess was the choice of the daughter's father. But I, because I, and I asked her about that and she kind of like brushed it off. But I was like, being a mom is such a big part of identity if you are a parent, um, like an inescapable part. And so we're not getting to see that. And do you feel like you're not being a full picture of you isn't being seen? And I didn't really get an answer, but I kind of think that's the case. And I don't know that it's ever been a benefit. It's so unfortunate because in some ways it's great because the kid doesn't, isn't a part of this. And we've seen more often than not, it is a very toxic experience to be the child of a real housewife and have, you know, very sometimes vulnerable moments of your life play out on national TV. I, I wouldn't recommend it, but we have seen the drawbacks with Brandy, with Bethany, with Sonia. I know there are other cases where these are people who come off as as brittle and some of that is deserved, but also there is an entirely a primary part of or a large part of their identity it's really up to how every person honestly identifies but like in terms of parenting that we're not able to see that could make people empathize yeah it's the humanizing moments because it's right. i think it is one thing when it's you have a kid who's like brianna culberson's age or even gia judice's mm-hmm. age but it's another thing to watch a mom like especially okay noella has an autistic son who's nonverbal, and she's just now getting him mm-hmm. into like therapies and treatments and that would have been so interesting to watch. He's like, he's a toddler. He doesn't have a worldview or like him being exposed to this world is not going to negatively impact him at this time. You know, like if anything, sharing that story might help people versus a child like getting involved in women's business. Um, And it would have been, because I think about like when Heather Thompson was on and her son had like, might need a kidney transplant and like had- A lot of medical challenges. that was- I felt helped soften her harsh edges. I was like, oh, she maybe is presenting herself in the group in a certain way and being this strong hala mama because there is a lot of stress and hurt and pain at home. Um, Yeah, and I would wonder what Jacqueline's perspective on that is because I, to be honest, I don't know a lot about the specifics of... um, Jacqueline's an uh, interesting case because it's both. You have Ashley... And then her sons, and then the one son who, like, so she has existed in a space where a a child has inserted themselves and become a main part of the drama, but then also shared Nicholas's story and the, you know, trouble and hurt and pain that that has caused. Yeah, and I wonder when it comes to Nicholas, even the idea of potentially not being affected by production, I don't know that I believe that that would be universally the case because the idea of stress and of seeing your parents in positions of stress and also dealing with strangers in and outside of your environment I think that there I think that there's a lot of nuance there but but in terms of like having someone as a character choosing select moments to share versus like 
Because it would be one thing to like, okay, we're following to this medical appointment to talk about this thing. And then right. the mom can un- actually, you know, unpack right. that in a confessional interview and the child's not privy to whatever right. that is. That's one thing. It's another thing to like, the child's having a tantrum and they don't know how to, and that's being exposed right. to the world. That's a wholly different thing. Yeah, and I think that it's a conversation that I'm sure production would be sensitive to and establishing boundaries that come from the perspective of like, okay, but this is like my child's yeah. actual life. So like, um, you know, I guess it is a wait and see. Do you want Noella back next season? I would be interested to see now that she knows what it is because I think she came in with such like yeah. a firm idea of what it was and performed under those circumstances. And then she was like, <laughs> and I mean perform literally right now I know um, <laughs> I'm laughing <laughs> I would be interested to see I don't ever like when someone's just a one season housewife yeah like I always want to see at least two um but I don't know when you have really like no friends left how does that work yeah and do we really want her to like add on a friend you know what I'm saying? Like that might make, that might exacerbate I, the well, issue I also that we're having a lot right of now. Questions about so obviously Nicole was like, I'm out. And then I was yeah. like, was production trying to figure out if they could pull an old season OC and insert a housewife or a new character mid season? Because then like Heather's friend was just in Mexico and then like came to that dinner. I was like, mm. are they all of a sudden gonna try and make this girl work? And then Noella was always <laughs> FaceTiming that like I don't know Serbian woman I don't know who she is yeah. and I was like With were they a huge house I was like are they trying Penny, to make maybe? yeah is that somebody else yeah um not Tot we know who Tot is um, no God forbid but I was like this is I think production also was very much like I think they thought they had a lot of story with Nicole and were probably mm-hmm. hoping that a lot of the season would kind of be tent pulled around her life and then she said Oof. you don't have access to my life anymore because <laughs> I think they were wanting to get into the whole like Jim Bellino thing oh my god I forgot about the that. whole she was maybe engaged or promised to him or dating him <laughs> can you imagine I cannot um yeah and I feel like that one season listen sometimes one season's a good idea, VCC, Dr. Jen. But with Emily and Gina, we wouldn't get... I really genuinely it enjoy took them on the four show. four years it, for us to, like, really understand really them. But, yeah, no, there are certain, like, Housewife 100, Peggy Salahian, yeah. God bless, yeah. Godspeed. Um, mm-hmm. An accounting error. <laughs> but, like, Carlton Gebbia would have been fascinated to see more of yeah. that. Um, and I think even Andy Cohen has said that they did her dirty, that there was so much more in her life that didn't make it into the episodes that could have kind of balanced out her story. Or like a Jules Weinstein. Like there are people, Mm. which I think, I I think they maybe wanted her to come back. And, but the fact that her husband slash now ex-husband was so unwilling to be around that they were like, well then what are we going to film? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that was a, a tough moment. But um, sidebar, speaking of Andy, mazel of the day to Andrew Cohen. Little Lucy. has a baby daughter who was born the day that we're recording this. He announced it within the hour of the birthing time, which is shows you his dedication and love for the Bravo community because I'm dead serious. I want to know the second that this happens, <laughs> that there is a new addition to the, the, the baby daddy of our beloved world. Classic celebrity announcement time mm. evening on a friday 
where no publicist is going to get back to you with any details or information. It's like all you get is the the news. And then on Monday, maybe there will be more. Lucy said to that surrogate, she was like, listen, my dad will really appreciate if I can do him a solid (laughs) and be born at this time. And that angel surrogate, shout out to all the surrogates in the world, my God, um, was like, okay, we got it. We're going to make it happen. But also, like, way to keep it under wraps, Andrew. Like, this one, then we had, you know, we found out a little before. This one, we had no idea. And he was playing coy anytime somebody was asking if, like, would you have another within like you know his walk of fame star which was within the last couple of months so it's like he knew it was happening um and also it's just like i i don't want to be upset about it i don't want to make this about me but like ben is a great name lucy is a great name i find it personally per- having not had kids with honestly really no plans to but like i just i don't know why i'm like wait but now i want those names <laughs> he owns the trademark no but they are they're good names i do want to know if lucy is inspired by his beloved peanuts oh that could be that's a great i bet so i bet so unless there's some like family connection or something but i was like oh i i has to be after the peanuts character because ben i think was a family yeah i believe so Oh my God, they're just so, and Lucy and Ben together. Are you kidding me? Those names are perfect. It's gonna be perfect children, perfect children. And the fact that both he and Anderson Cooper now have two kids, have two kids in like within the same age range is like. I hate to say it, but the second that Anderson had a second baby, I was like, Andy's same. gonna have a second. Everyone too. was. I, I think everybody genuinely. had that. Yeah. Happen. Yeah. Well, but we were smartest. <laughs> Sure. We were, sure. We were actually the only people. I think that's how I think that's how that works. That's like the theme of this episode when it comes to fans. I was talking about the AG community. I'm sure everyone who listens to this had the thought right. that, that is that yeah. is what it was limited well, to. Absolutely. <laughs> limited to this thriving community of people who include tree huggers who I appreciate and people who are team Ramona. There's a spot for everybody. There's a spot There's for everybody. There's a spot everybody. for everybody, just maybe take the blinders off every once in a while and look at the bigger picture and like, don't send hate to people. No one has come on any of these shows, maybe say for for a couple of people to hurt (laughs) anybody, ruin anybody's life. Everybody has the goal of making great television for you to watch. And that's the lens through which you should look at these programs. With the exception of Danielle. (laughs) Just in case we forgot it the last time and guys if you at her in anything i'm like i will literally murder you which will be what she's planning to do to me please don't please don't listen bray sander i could talk to you all day this was a supersized ep and i am so appreciative for your time you're so smart you're so interesting i highly encourage that people follow you on social i love when you interview the housewives because i think that you um Give them the respect and um, I think this space in in which to have really interesting conversations, which I think those of us in the Bravo community always like to see. Um, So I'm so thankful that you you came on. I appreciate that. No, I view the interviews as the space for the women to say their truth. And then it is up to you, the watcher, the reader, to determine if it is the actual truth. So you know what? Not to continue this episode forever, but that has been the theme that I have been thinking in my head this week, which is like the idea that when it comes to having women that you might consider from personality personality alone problematic, 
like when it comes to having people that you completely disagree with, regardless of whether it's something that they, how they believe, what they think, how they behave or what they say, what does it do when we decide that there's only one path or one right when we don't, we can still see people and have conversations about people, even if you completely disagree with a huge aspect of how they are on screen. I think it does a disservice in, in some instances. It's a necessity to, to the yeah. way these shows are built is yeah. like you need there to be yeah. some baseline of conflict. Yeah. So there have to be different points of view. There have to be disagreements over stuff. Um, and I try to give everybody the same amount of space to say what they need to say about mm. what is happening. Um, and that's kind of to go back to the point I made at the beginning of this yeah. pod is like, that's why you cannot get upset that one person spoke about somebody and then not be upset that the other person spoke about that person. A hundred percent. And also just circling back to like the beginning of the Andes girls, I think that there has been like a definite generate generational shift within AG specifically when it comes to like, okay, things that I even said as a podcaster, as a person a year ago, a year and a half ago, Room I wouldn't for do growth. Today. People are allowed to change and evolve right. and not agree with who they were or the decisions they made in the past. And that's okay and normal. And it, you sh- no one should be, like, tried for their past as long as they are proving that that is no longer who they are. Yes, I, and I think it goes into one of my favorite catchphrases phrases in general, which is, like, normalize, change your mind, ch- normalize changing your mind based on new information, but also the addendum, if you disagree with something, in order to have a conversation, it is possible to speak to someone without... A, telling them that their views are wrong or B, trying to convince them to think the way that you're thinking, which is like such a deterrent when you come out and you're like, I disagree, but what I need before we stop talking is for you to change your mind. It's so uninteresting. It's just uninteresting. You have to approach it with, this is my point of view and I need you to hear it. And Mm. then we can discuss where's the compromise. That's an important word. Like, Areas of compromise. We cannot exist in a world, and we will never exist in a world, where everyone operates the same way. Well, I also think that's what was so important with BravoCon, because you had so many different, seeming different people, even from a personality perspective, political perspective, um, who were in a space who may not have hung out with each other or gotten to know each other otherwise, but you could go up to anybody in the fucking anybody and say what do you think about Brooks Ayers what do you think about Lou and Tom like and there is a language that we all speak it's just so unfortunate that we're often too busy you know trying to cut each other off right yeah no it's like there are things we'll agree on there are things we'll disagree on yeah but we are we're speaking the same language so let's have the conversation And um, the thing that everyone's going to agree on is how great this app was. Um, so kudos to you. Can you tell the AGs where to follow you on social? Any Anything that you want to, um, any potential recent or upcoming interviews you want us to know about Ooh. and and all that good so stuff? So I'm at Bryce Sander everywhere. Bryce with an I. No S on the end of Sanders. Like just Sander. Um, my whole life, my name's been, both names misspelled. Um <laughs> Bright, like always like Bryce with a Y and then Sanders with an S at the end. Bryce 
Sandra. Everywhere. Um, I chatted with Drew Sedora, but it's going to run Ooh. next week ahead of episode two because there's some juicy wow. stuff in the Atlanta premiere. It's like okay. deja vu with Ralph from last season. Um, and there will be Beverly Hills content on the way when that show comes back. And then if you're into, you know, Bravo-like shows over on Netflix, Bling Empire and Selling Sunset content. <gasps> oh. I mean, first off, so excited for Bling Empire. And this and is what I was of, doing oh, before we got Oh my God, Bryce is holding up Christine Quinn's book. You're reading it probably at the same time Christine is, so that'll be a fun adventure I, for both of you. I think this is very much written in her voice. So I think she had, I think she had something to do with it. Well, good for her, I say. And I'm sure it'll be like an absolute mandatory New York Times bestseller, which is how um, books now work. Um, But uh, speaking of all things Selling Sunset, there is an Andy's Girls Patreon episode up on the AG page, the number one way to support the pod, exclusive to the AG Patreon with none other than Bravo by Betches, another superstar, Dylan Hafer, almost an hour long episode of conversation about um, all things Selling Sunset and Sidebar. I was on Dylan's pod, mentioned it all this week and had an absolute blast, um, including a lot of conversation about New Jersey and Selling Sunset as well. Um, So listen to that episode. There's a second Patreon that went up this week with your Satchels of Gold listener thoughts and feels, questions and concerns, named in honor for Holiness Kelly Corn Ben Simone and a live reaction as I watched the New Jersey reunion trailer and so much more. Patreon.com slash Andy's Girls. You get exclusive bonus apps and a ton of other goodies. And Instagram at Dane Galley. You get to see photos, fabulous photos of his clothes that um, Brace with a Y And this is over. This pot is over. <laughs> and on that note, um, guys, hope you're all doing okay. And, you know, we'll uh, chat with you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.